A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Google AI or um, Google I.O. kicked off last Wednesday. The company spent most of its two hour plus keynote talking about artificial intelligence. The company also announced the Pixel tablet and the Pixel Fold phone. Elon Musk has named a new CEO to take the helm at Twitter. Linda Yaccarino, a.k.a. The Velvet Hammer, is expected to officially move into the role within the next six weeks. A Snapchat influencer launches an AI-powered virtual girlfriend to help cure loneliness, and the godfather of AI offers a dire warning about the dangers of artificial intelligence. we got all this and more for you in episode 83 of The Tech John. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood. And coming out of Philly, it's your girl, Tech Life Steph. And out of Atlanta, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech, a.k.a. Happy belated Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Or if you have mothers, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, if you don't and you have a father and you want to show him some love, wait till Father's Day. <laughs> so um, I, I just had a thought and you threw me off with the, uh, the Father's Day because I started thinking about how bad fathers get it on Father's Day. But we'll say that for Father's Day. You know so, what? It's not that bad. I think we make a big hubbub out of not getting any love when in reality, don't bother me for Father's Day. <laughs> I don't need no love. <laughs> leave, leave me be. So, yo, before we get into the show, I want to let everybody know that uh, I actually looked at a couple of reports. One was from Edison Research. The other was from actual Blood Sprout, a uh, podcast hosting service. And one of the things that both of them said was that one of the number one ways that podcast listeners find out about other podcasts is word of mouth. So that being said, if you rocking with the tech John and I'm imagining if you're listening to me talk right now, you do tell somebody about the show. That's, that's one of the, the greatest things you can do for us. Just let somebody know that we're out here, send them over to the tech John.com forward slash uh, anything, just the techjohn.com. You just get them there and then we'll, they'll figure out how to, you know, listen to the show. But that's, that's the one thing you can do for us. Just let somebody know that we out here bringing this tech to you the way that we bring it to you. So that's with right. that, yeah, we had a lot of tech last week. So let's go ahead and jump into some of these tech stories. This first one is just a quick hit. I just want to kind of let people know. I think it was episode 81 that we talked about the EU and Microsoft's deal to buy active, you know, Activision and they were blocking it. I believe it was because of the CMA and they were concerned about streaming. Well, it looks like that Microsoft has figured that out because they have made concessions agreeing to allow any streaming platform to access Activision titles and the company would not degrade quality for rival streaming platforms for at least 10 years. So it looks like, you know, we, you know, we said we couldn't call it when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The EU is half of Microsoft's issue. They are now allowing it. So we're going to see what the states are going to do next. Oh, still got to go through the states. Huh? I thought it was just an EU thing specifically. Not nah, so it was an EU thing specifically. We just got to see if the states are going to allow it or not. I, I don't think that we've done anything with it here. So they're still they haven't done the acquisition yet, but it is allowed in the EU and Europe at least. So well, good luck with that because it may be another <laughs> two or three years before United like States. I said, I'm still saying sort of concession. I can't call it because it's like you know. But, you know, like I said, the the, uh, the EU wasn't thinking that it was going to come through this quick based off of what was happening uh, just a few weeks ago. So we'll see if the United States comes around. But it's a huge opportunity for Microsoft. It's a sixty nine billion dollar deal. And I'm just thinking about it. it's sixty nine billion dollars for a gaming company. I'll just let you know how big gaming is worldwide, not just here in the U.S., but just True. worldwide. But I just figured I wanted to just do a quick hit on that since we did talk about it just a couple of weeks ago. They've now reversed course and. They've agreed to allow the, the acquisition to go through, at least in the EU. But, uh, but the, I, Microsoft, Microsoft still got that 10 year commitment. They're like, all right, 
you know, we can wait for 10 years and then right. cross that bridge and when we get there. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, everything they feared will come to pass. 10 years is not that long a time. It, 10 years is not that long a time, but it is also an eternity. And from Microsoft's standpoint, um, I would not put it beyond Microsoft to take every advantage over their competitors that they can. But a 10 year contract that, that, you know, in, in computer terms and, you know, in software industry, that is a long term deal when you're saying you're going to be doing this thing for 10 years, because my gut would tell me that as well, well be for that 10 years is up. They're going to be negotiating something new. And I don't see that if you're going to let if you're going to let everybody have access to your stuff for 10 years, I don't see where you're going to, you know, really come out ahead if you decide 10 years from now, we're going to stop that. You know, clearly they might have a plan, but it seems to me like this is pretty much going to be the way that it's going to be that everybody's going to be able to get these games from Microsoft because ultimately more people buying games, more money Microsoft's right. going to make. Yeah, they're still going to be paying for yeah. it. So six in one, half a dozen in the other. So y'all, the big news story, I think at least last week that came out was <laughs> Google IO. Did either of y'all pay attention to it at all? Absolutely no. not. No, I, <laughs> I knew I was going to get a no from Terrence, but, no. uh, but you know what? We do have a lot of listeners in a lot of places that use Android. So, uh, I am a big user of Android and a, and a user of Google services. So, and I didn't, I, let me, let me clarify by saying I didn't watch just cause I'm a Android hater, um, and an iPhone user. I just, I do, honestly, I didn't even realize it was, it was, happening um i may have tried to watch some of it you know in hindsight finding out that it was two hours long would have definitely turned me off i probably would have got through about a half an hour of it you know anyway um but and, and i did try to go back actually today i just didn't have time like i said it's two hours long so i did start watching it today uh but i just didn't have time to finish it but i i definitely was not intentionally not watching it you know out of some Apple solidarity or anything. I just didn't even think about I it. I want to be honest with you. Well, I normally so I, go ahead, Terrence. I was going to say I intentionally did not watch in it, but not because I'm a Google hater, but because it was two hours long and I knew the YouTubers was going to summarize it for me on YouTube. So I, <laughs> after it was over, I went on YouTube, watched the videos. I'm up to date. Right. <laughs> I make it a point to, to at least attempt to watch the Facebook stuff, the Google stuff, the Apple stuff and the Microsoft stuff. I, I, I make an attempt. Um, unfortunately, I was not able to watch, or maybe fortunately, I was not able to watch Google IO, the keynote live because I was driving, I was on a road trip. So I wasn't able to pick it up until after it actually aired. And because I was on this road trip, I really wasn't consuming any news. So when I saw it for the first time, it really was like I was watching it live. But one of the one of the benefits of not watching it live is that I, I pushed that speed all the way up to one point seven five. So it would have taken me two hours and five minutes only took me about an hour and 15. And I did get through all of it. But there were, uh, um, you know, m my initial thoughts on this was, do you remember back when Meta and Zuckerberg decided they were going all in on the metaverse? And from the looks of it, that might have not been the, the you know, maybe the, the most prudent choice because, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like the rest of the world is kind of moving with them. Google, in the same way, is going all in on AI. This uh, this this keynote was two hours and five minutes long. I don't think they started talking about anything that wasn't directly related to AI until about hour one minute twenty three. So we're about an hour and 23 minutes in right at an hour and 20 minutes. They started talking about Android, but they were still talking about AI and some of the AI things that Android is being able to do. And, uh, but it was about one when they actually started talking about just, you know, being able to do new skins and stuff like that in Android. And then of course they got to the, to, to the new hardware, but um, get there, I thought it was hilarious that the verge did like a um, mashup of all the times the Google CEO said AI, and it was hilarious. It's just like a long AI, 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 mm. generative AI, yeah. AI, AI, AI. And it's like, all right, man, <laughs> relax. They needed to call this IO. They literally could have called this Google AI because that that is right. all that Google is worried about right now, and maybe um, deservedly so because from what I was able to garner. 
from just what I'm looking at. Like I've actually been using Bard since last Wednesday. I, you know, have looked at a couple of the other things. They're behind Microsoft and OpenAI. Um, and not, not even by a little bit. They, they are significantly behind. Now, aren't they calling it something else? Don't they have something new? Something about an island, something about a tree or something? <laughs> palm, no, Palm is their language. Oh, yeah, their Palm, yeah, Palm, gotcha. yeah. their language model. So, gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah, so they are moving to Palm too. Um, they're moving things over to that. And that is, I, I guess the best way to explain it would be is that if you, if you, if you know Chat GPT, they have like, you know, when we first heard about it, it was three or three, five, and then we moved to four and there's four or five, I guess that they're working on. So there's different versions of or different iterations of these AI bots and they get better and better every version. Google is about to move off of what right now seems to be fairly behind what open AI is doing. And they're going to move to this new platform that hopefully for them is going to catch them up. But everything that they're doing is AI. They are integrating AI into most of the services that you that you have heard of. So things you've already seen, like if you are in Gmail and you somebody sends you an email and you get like the bottom of the Gmail, there's like three or four different responses you could automatically mm-hmm. uh, send a message back to. Well, that's AI that is generating those, but they're moving deeper into that to where now you can actually write something in the way you would write it and then have it change the way that it wrote it. So like, you know, you might write four or five words. It'll end up giving you a full paragraph based off of looking at other things that you've written, the the way that you write. It's kind of cool. It's kind of gimmicky as well. Um, They're also putting that into like Google Docs and the Google Sheets and basically, you know, all the applications that you think when you think of Google that you use regularly, they're sticking all that stuff in there. They're also going to be doing some stuff inside of their cloud services. So for many people don't know this, but Google actually has a fairly robust cloud service similar to like Amazon S3 and they're putting AI in there. So just like Microsoft is going deep, you know, in the paint with, uh, you know, with AI, with what they're working with from open AI, uh, Google is going hard on their own stuff. So much for the six month moratorium on <laughs> let's slow this down and, and see if, you know, we can figure out how to put some guardrails around yeah. it. Yeah. So much for that. That went out the window pretty quick. Well, that, that, uh, that 60 minutes interview, that was, that was what darn near a month ago, wasn't it? <laughs> things change in a month because it's like Clearly. they are Clearly. going hard at this. Give a look. <laughs> and so, you know, we'll, we'll put links in the show notes. So everybody can go back. If you, if you, if you haven't seen there, you haven't heard about uh, Google uh, IO, you can go and watch it. It is not like watching a Samsung event. It is not where they actually are really talking about their hardware. It's not like watching the Apple event where they almost exclusively are talking about hardware. It is a developers conference. So, as I said, it was the first hour and 23 minutes was all AI and all the things they're doing with AI. And it's, it's some really cool things that they're telling you that they're going to be able to do. But they well, are definitely behind was, right now. I thought it was interesting um, the way they are planning to integrate AI, AI into search um, with the whole idea of um that summary that you get when you put in, you know, if you put in the right type of prompt in the, in the um, search box, you get like a summary answer before you actually get the, the sources and websites and links and stuff that you can go, which, you know, makes things easier to a degree, I suppose. Um, however, I was, I was a little bit um, concerned because people are going to be taking this as gospel, like they already do. Um, You know, there's, they've, they've already studied the idea that, you know, no, maybe 98% of people don't look past the first page of a Google search result. Half of that 98% don't look past the first three search results um, when you Google something. So the idea that you're going to take that summary as gospel, basically, when AI is shown to be incorrect, you know, enough times to be concerning um, is, is, is kind of a problem. And I think, you know, we're going to start to see a lot of, you know, misinformation and, and different things happening uh, as they're using this, this, this opportunity to put that summary at the top of the search results and, and people just accept it for, for fact. And I also hope that they don't AI every result, because if I'm looking for something like, when does iOS 
17 come out. I don't need AI for that. There are documented places that will tell me when iOS 17 comes out, you know, look to Apple, for example, go to the Apple website, find in the website where it says when iOS 17 is coming out, spit that answer to me. Don't try to AI everything because I don't need it for everything. So here's what's interesting with how they're taking search. So right now, search and Bard are separate things. They're, They're separate websites. Eventually, when you go to search, you can just do your regular search. But then you can say you want to chat. And that's when it switch over, switches over to the bot. So it is something that you're doing when you want to start not searching for actual information that is cited from another source. Um, this is when you're now talking to the bot to where it is telling you what it thinks. And, you know, Stephanie, as you were saying, it, it can be wildly wrong. For example, I actually today did this. I ran a query on, and, and I think my prompt was tell me about the tech job. And the first paragraph was on point. It literally went to our website, grabbed the first paragraph off of our website. And then it told you who the hosts were. I don't know who none of them people was. It gave me about nine different people. Um, what none of them named Stephanie, Terrence or Rob. So it's I mean, literally like paragraph two on our website tells us who we are so it didn't even go down far enough to find out who we are but it's doing some ai stuff so it's trying to okay well these are other people who talk about tech and look like us so it so it did get everybody who that mentioned were african-american and they had something to do with tech most of them had a podcast or had been on podcasts before but weren't any of them us so it's like well that that is a glaring omission because our names are all over our website how could it miss something that is so basic and put names and i'm like what well, this person has never been on a show we've never mentioned them before um you know i i'm trying to remember i, I probably should have saved those results i think there were nine different names only one name was even related to the show and that was someone that we did a spotlight on back last year so it was very wrong on the information it gave about who we are. So you're telling me Google didn't itself go past above the fold? It did not. Search results? It, right. <laughs> it, it, it literally didn't. Exactly. And instead of, well, let me see, there's more information on this website. Let me look at that. No, it started just making stuff up. It, it literally grabbed, you know, I, I'm not sure how the magic works behind the curtain on how this thing does what it does, but it was very inaccurate with, um, you know, our website. Now there's some other things that I point in. It's like, Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty good, you know? So, um, it, it looks to me like they still have some work to do. They need to get this over, moved over to the Palm two platform and maybe they will, uh, you know, we'll catch up. I think. That they're going to because the the thing for me that Google has that Microsoft and um, OpenAI doesn't have is that, you know, Google is still the default search for Earth. If you search for something, what is it? You know, I think, what is it like 87 percent of all searches done on Google? Well, so I mean, they're getting all of those signals. Google's a verb now. So, yeah. yeah and don't so. Know. Like, stop trying to make Bing happen. You know, <laughs> Bing is not going to, in the immortal words of, of Regina George, stop trying to make Bing happen. Um, I, I just, yeah, Microsoft, you know, no, no shade, Microsoft, but it, it ain't happening. And, and, um, and Bard will get better. I, I know I did, I got like a, had them write me, had Bard write an outline for me for like an ebook and things like that. So it's, it, it, it'll get as good as the rest of them, I think, very quickly. I think they, mm-hmm. you know, they'll grab enough data from the, scrape enough data from the internet to, to make it work. Um, I thought the other things about IO, um, to, to Saray's point about security and, and the idea that they're going to, they expanded their Find My Device network so that, um, you know, it'll now look for sort of any device uh, that is Bluetooth enabled. I thought that was good. And it, and it, and it falls in line with the, you know, Apple Google announcement from last week that they're um, going to collaborate on some standards around that to try to prevent stalking and things like that. And then I almost, I'm not even, I'm not even going to say I do. I almost see a use case for a foldable phone. I do oh, not okay. understand WTF, anybody needs a foldable phone. I, I still, to this day, I just don't get it. I watched the video for the fold and um, the Pixel Fold and I 
almost see the use case. Still wouldn't buy one, but I almost see the use case. Do tell. Is there a specific uh, example? Is it just in general, like reading a book or looking at a map or specifically? I, is there? I specifically, I really thought it was very cool the way they did the translation. So they had they showed somebody, um, you know, typing in words on their screen. And the person that was looking at the screen on the back was seeing that mm-hmm. in their language. And you, so basically you're able to actually have this real time conversation, conversation mm-hmm. with this person as the screen, as you're typing stuff. in. so I, I thought that was really cool. I, I like the idea, you know, how they, they, they had set the phone down and folded up and were watching a video, you know, a YouTube video or something. And you could have, you had the controls on the other, on the one half of the screen and the, and the um, video on the other half, like, I kind of could see it. Um, not that you couldn't, I guess you probably can still do this on, you know, the, the galaxy fold and, and, and everything else. They just, they just didn't make it, you know, obvious enough to me what I might actually use this phone for. Um, but, but, uh, Pixel's video almost sold me. Almost sold me. Did, did it, did it almost sold you at $1,800? Yeah, that well, that's not never gonna happen. Well, I won't say never gonna happen, but that's not gonna happen no time soon. And, and it's an Android phone, so it's, oh, they, you throw, know, they, throw anything- the, they throw the watch in. So if you right now, if you if you if you order it from you know from Google, you get it from Google, they'll uh, they'll throw in the Google Watch with it. I mean, huh. and I mean, if, if if Google's just being honest, like Pixel's a really good camera. It's a great that, camera that you could take some pictures on. I mean, that you could make some calls on. Like Google's Pixel's a really really good camera. If I ever did switch to an Android phone, it would probably be the Pixel because I do think um, they have the best camera. But um, but I still ain't buying no phone. Sorry. So since mm-hmm. so, so, so you started talking about this phone, let me tell folks the specs on it because I know that a lot of people yeah. want to hear that. So the display is a seven point six inch AMOLED display with a resolution of 2208 by 1840 pixels and 120 uh, hertz refresh rate processors google tensor g2 12 gigs of ram 256 or 512 gigs of storage a 48 uh, megapixel main sensor a 10.8 megapixel ultra wide sensor 10.8 megapixel telephoto sensor with a 5x optical zoom and a 8 megapixel front facing camera it's got a um it's a weird number it's 4821 milliamps they couldn't quite get it to 5000 milliamps one of the reasons the battery is a little smaller than you would expect in a phone that's physically the size of this is that this is one of the thinnest phones you will ever see it is it is ridiculously thin so because they made it so thin when it folds, they don't want it to feel like a candy bar in your pocket. Um, right. You know, they, they really made it uh, thin. So they had to, well, if we're going to make this thin, what can't we not put in here? Uh, you know, extra battery. So it'll be interesting to see what the battery life is on this thing. It is uh, it is using operating system 13. I would imagine now almost immediately when 14 is available, this thing is going to go to it. It's got uh, Wi-Fi uh, 6E, Bluetooth 5.2, 5G, NFC, USB-C, and the dimensions are 158.6 by 118.2 by 6.7 millimeters, like 6.7 millimeters thick. That is a very, very thin phone and it weighs 283 grams. Um, and you can get all of I'd that be for eighteen hundred dollars. I'd be curious to know if that thinness affects build quality. Is it six point? Is that is that thickness the unfolded? That's thickness? the that's the unfolded thickness. Be. That's the unfolded okay. thickness. Okay, okay, yeah. I'd be curious to see how that affected build quality. I want to play with one. I, I've said this, you know, many times before. Uh, I I will never buy a first generation new thing. So because it's just like, I don't want to be a, you know, for $1,800, I don't want to be a beta tester. So I would need Mm -hmm. to have everybody say this is like the perfect foldable. And then maybe when the two comes out, that would be something that I could potentially buy. But Samsung, which is my hardware manufacturer of choice, they've been making a fold now for four years. And I still haven't, yeah, I still have not seen the business case or the use case for me personally. I'm not, I'm not dismissing why other people would want it. I personally just I don't need a phone that does as all that. As long as I can see that seam, I'm not buying a foldable phone. Yeah, the I don't se- care. The seam as long is. As I can see the seam, I'm not getting the phone. You, I'm not paying that much money to see that daggone seam. I just I can't do it. The the, do the it. seam is definitely there. So it, it, it is it. it is very noticeable. Well, so, I can see how people are starting to change how they. Um carry phones especially with the dudes now 
they got the man purses or what they call them, crossbody, cross whatever the case. Yeah, man purse, man purse. Uh, and to where, you know, we are putting less stuff in our pockets. So I could see somebody saying, well, I don't need a tiny phone since it's all going to be in this compartment thing. So maybe people will start to specifically men will spring for a larger device that then can fold out to where I guess you could get more use out of it. Like I mentioned, reading a book. Uh, checking a map, you know, uh, things like that to where it's like, I don't feel it. Well, I need the thinnest, I need the thinnest possible phone because I don't like the bulge in my pocket. If that's right. no longer a, 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 a obstacle, right, right. An obstacle, then you may say, uh, you know what? Let me see what it's about. Yeah. It is, it is really thin. Meh. My sister has the Galaxy Fold 4 and when you know, it, my problem with the like the the first three where it's just too thick when it folds up, so yeah, the four it's thick, but it's not like uncomfortably thick. When you put it in your pocket, you know, for me now, remember I'm I'm six four and a half, you know, three hundred pound dude, so I'm a huge person anyway. So my pockets are generally bigger than most people's, just because my pants are bigger than most people. But for me, when I put our phone in my pocket, I don't really notice how big it is. This is significant. I don't say significantly, but it is substantially thinner than that. Um, and it's also not as long. Uh, they, you know, they, it is, it is not a, it's not a tall phone because they're giving you that real estate, uh, when you open the screen up. So it'll be interesting to see what people say about it. I do want to get to, before we move to our next story, this other piece of hardware that came out. Uh, there is a Pixel tablet out. Pixel, or to say Google has a 10.95 inch, or let's just say an 11 inch tablet out. It has a resolution of 2560 by 1600 uh, with a pixel density of 276 PPI. It's also using the G2, has 8 gigs of RAM, 128 or 250 gig options for storage. It has 8 megapixel rear camera and an 8 megapixel front camera, 8,000 milliamp hour battery. Um, it is also using Android 13. All the Bluetooth is the same as what the fold is. Uh, the dimensions on this thing is 258.1 um, by 170 by 8.1 millimeters. So this is a tablet that is, uh, when you think about it compared to the, the folding phone, it is considerably thicker, uh, you know, at 8.1 millimeters. And it has a weight of 439 grams, or excuse me, 493 grams. And this thing starts at $499. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. The, the problem with a Pixel tablet, the problem with any Android tablet is that there is simply no ecosystem for tablet specific apps on apps, yep. uh you know on, on this platform now google says that they've got 50 apps that they have retrofitted but it's all their stuff it's email it's you know it's sheets it's you right. know it's, it's all their stuff developers have to develop for this they know this so here's mm. what google decided to do we need to make this a dual purpose device so it is a tablet it is also a really big really expensive Google Nest Hub Max. If you guys have seen the Google Nest, the the Hub Max yeah. is actually got a 10 inch screen on it. It's like $299. And I've always said it's like, this thing would be great if you could snatch it off of the base and use it as a tablet. I think a lot of other people said that, including folks at Google. And that's what they have done with the Pixel tablet. It is essentially a Google Nest that you can take the, take the tablet off and walk around with it. It's only $500. We'll have to see whether it's worth it or not. Um, but the problem so, that Google has is they just don't have an ecosystem of apps and they, they, they've got to start somewhere. The, the, the device has to exist that people are going to get. Maybe this will be it. I, surprisingly, I really don't go for apps when I open up my iPad. I'm on Safari. I'm using Apple services, which they better have an ecosystem for their own device. So that's maps, that's email, that's calendar, that's reminders, yada, yada, yada. Right. But when I'm on my tablet, I'm typically on the Internet via the browser. So I could see getting away with, to a certain extent, not having a bunch of developers on board to create tablet specific apps for Google. But the problem is not at five hundred dollars. <laughs> That's well, well, here's here's the other problem. Um, that's exactly how I use my Galaxy Tab S4. There's a Galaxy Tab S8 out and soon to be probably an S9 this year 
that I don't know that I need because I only use these devices as web browsers that I can carry around uh, when I'm going to be somewhere where I don't have a computer screen in front of me. So this is the problem. You know, even though you Terrence don't use apps, apps simply just don't exist for this because I know that if you got an iPad pro, you can run, I mean, you, you can run some really high end applications on that thing. I don't want to say it's a desktop replacement, but you can do some things on that tablet that are just simply not possible to do on an Android tablet because those applications just do not exist. And it's possible, but is is it applicable? And what I mean by that is, do people actually do those things? I mean, people, yeah, they get iPads and they fall in love with the idea of using it as a Final Cut Pro, you know, makeshift device when I don't want to carry my computer around. But enough people doing that for to to justify because iPad Pro is more expensive than $800, but Apple has a cache that people going to drop that dollars regardless of what they come out with. Google, on the other hand, Pete, they're kind of more kind of like, eh, I don't know. I don't care what I can do with it. If, if it ain't fitting my price point, I ain't with it. You know, so in my opinion, I think you could get away with a Pixel, a Google tablet, but not at $500. That's, yeah, that's, less that's expensive the and, and yeah. promote it and promote it as this is a mobile browser with all this functionality that we also have our Google built in stuff that's native. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't see, I mean, you know, you got the, you, you can get an iPad air and do your Photoshop on that. I think, you know, Apple has, has, yeah. Cornered the market Mm -hmm. on, you know, I I don't want to say serious use cases, but that's the only word I can come up with. Um, Product, more productivity focused things. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and Google's, it's like, you you got an e-reader and an email checker and, and, a, and a YouTube and a, and a, right. you know viewer. So get on get on Facebook, right? <laughs> on the internet, <laughs> we, we we will see. Google is you know they're eminently aware uh, of their issue when it comes to tablets. That's why they made this thing also a Google Nest because it's like we we can't we can't just put a three hundred dollar tablet out and it doesn't do anything more than. Right all the other tablets you can get for $300. Right. So let's see, if we, you know, can we bump the price up a little bit? Let's put a speaker based charging station and allow this thing to act like a Google home device when it's, when it's, when it's on that. So it's kind of like, you know, p- people are going to get it. I, you know, I, I have um, nest all over the house and I actually have, um, you know, it was the, the old Google home. They've now renamed it to nest. So I've actually got that like in my family room. But I don't know that I'd be willing to pay $500 for a screen um, when I have literally computers and tablets everywhere. So I don't know that it's for me, but they've got to start somewhere. What they have to do is they have to get developers willing to create applications for it. So for the folks who are like, uh, unlike you, Terrence, that actually are going to use it for way more than just a tablet. Um, I know people who they really try to, I, I don't think you can use a, uh, a tablet as a desktop replacement or a, you know, a laptop replacement, but I know a lot of folks, a lot of folks who with, particularly with the iPad pro, they say they try, they try to get as close as they can to not having to ever carry a laptop with them. And they can just use that device. Google has to start looking at those folks because those are the folks that are going to spend money on tablets. Nobody's going to spend a ton of money on a Google tablet. that cannot do all the stuff that the iPad can do. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Boom. So, y'all, for this next story here, um, and Stephanie, uh, you put this in here, so it, it must be okay for us to talk about Twitter because this was this was yours. <laughs> Well, but mean, we got to talk about we we we, 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 
we try not to talk about it, but it's like they just they, they you know the company just keeps making news, but and this one is kind of a big one because this, they got this a new is CEO. significant. Twitter has hired a CEO, and and so uh, Linda Yaccarino is a former uh, NBC Universal executive. Um, she will be become Twitter's new CEO within the next, I think, six weeks or so. Um, I thought it was really interesting that she is an ad. Uh, she has an advertising background and mm-hmm. not a tech background, um, you know, and, and the fact that, I mean, it makes perfect sense from Elon Musk's perspective. He is remaining on on as the chief technical officer, um, head of product and one other little title he's keeping for himself. Um, so control of all it, things, Twitter. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, he's like, let me just bring this person in that's gonna that's gonna make us some money. Uh, take allegedly, the heat off of me. yeah, mm-hmm. take the heat off <laughs> and, and and hopefully make us some money. Um, but he still is really gonna be super super close to I think the day to day um operation of Twitter and and you know the the article I posted talked a lot about the potential conflict they see between the two of them because if you're bringing me in to make money, you got to get this this content moderation under control, you know, but, but how do you say that to a quote unquote free speech absolutist? Um, and also, uh, if you are so focused on ad revenue, you know, I think maybe you get a little bit more moderation, but potentially lose some privacy because you got to have something to sell to these people, uh, beyond just, you know, whatever access you're giving them now. I think, I think some of our privacy gets eroded as more of our data becomes available to try to uh, generate revenue for, for Twitter. I think her first act or the first thing she's going to try to figure out is how do we stem the bleeding? Because since Elon has taken over, they've lost half their advertising revenue, revenue, half of it. Yeah. I mean, they went, it went from 5 billion down to two, was it 2.5? 2.5. Yeah. Half. Th- that is, it's like, we, a lot of money. it's like, you know, here's the thing. You got a billion dollars in, you know, or Elon's case, you, you have, let's just say, let's just say you have a hundred billion dollars. You lose a billion. Well, you still have 99 billion left, but if you got a hundred dollars and you lose 50, you upset because right. you only got $50 <laughs> left exactly. and they lost two and a half billion dollars in a year. In advertising. So her first job is to what do we have to do just to keep people from leaving the platform? That That's thing. Number triage. one, triage, triage, figure that out. And people are saying I've looked at a bunch of different articles about this today. They're saying that she might be a, you know, a, a perfect choice for this because she's got a couple things going. She absolutely knows the the uh, the advertising game. Um, she, I, I'm not looking at the article right now, but she, even, there's a name that people, they call her like the velvet something or other when velvet, it comes to the velvet hammer. Yeah. When it comes to, uh, to advertising, because she's just ruthless at getting, um, really good deals for whoever she's working for done. So that's a good thing. And then also she's been critical of Musk. She has, and, and it's sad that you have to, you know, you have to think about these things moving to this platform, but this is where this platform is. She has had nice things to say about the Biden administration. She's had nice things to say about Democrats. She's also had nice things to say about like DeSantis and Republicans. So it's like right. you, she she is kind of in the middle. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things to where if you are on the if you're on the far right, you don't like her. If you're on the far left, you don't like her. Um, and if you're in the middle, you just don't really care. It's like, are you going to get the job done? So that's probably a, you know, I can't remember who said that, but it's probably a good choice because she, you know, you've got multiple factions that don't like her, but the middle kind of is going to rock with what she's doing because she's never said anything that's outrageous. Um, and she really is good at getting these deals done. So, so we'll see. I think it comes down to is Elon Musk going to relinquish enough control to allow her to effectively do her job? I'm not saying yes to that. I don't don't see that happening because I don't want to say he cut her off at the knees before she even took the role, but he's definitely, you know, out there. I, you know, we're not going to do anything to change our free speech absolutism. And it's like, okay, you can, you can say that that's what you're not going to do, but do you want to make this money? Um, you know, do you, do you want to make this money and not, not saying that you have to, you know, just get rid of everything that you believe in, but on some level, if you are allowing content, 
on your platform that's going to run your advertisers away, you have to determine what is more important to you, the advertising dollars that the, uh, you know, the advertisers can make or the fact that you allow people to say things that ran your biggest advertisers away. You can't, you know, you, you, it's kind of like saying you're kind of pregnant. You cannot be kind of pregnant. Right. You either are or you are not. And so, and so with her, is he going to allow her to do what ultimately it looks like he brought her in there to do? I am not convinced. I will need to see Elon not cut her off at the knees every time she makes a decision or d- doesn't allow her to make the decisions that she feels needs to be made. That's what I need to see happen. Um, if this is going to work out. She going to use this as a springboard to another job because and get a bag if, while she's doing it. Right. If, if, if it works and she turns the company around, she turned the company around. If it all backfires in her face, Elon Musk is to blame. Mm-hmm. I did what I could. Right. I'm out. Oh yeah. yeah. She's, she's, I think she's insulated herself well oh, yeah. just in, in accepting the job. You know what I mean? It's like she, she took on an impossible task, you know, working with the, I mean, and he created this environment and, and, you know, where he just is now this crazy billionaire, you know, eccentric that no one can work with. So it's just, and, and to Wayne's point in the chat, it's like, you know, setting her up to fail so somebody else can take the blame. I don't even think they nah, can blame her. That, it's not, it's not going yeah. it, it won't work like that because yeah. she's too good at what she's been doing. I mean, she was, I think like they, they decided to go another way, but she was actually up for the CEO position at NBC universal. So she knows her stuff. You know, she is completely capable of running this company from from what everybody is saying. So there's no question in my mind that in order for her to do this is like, okay, this bag needs to look like this. And if it doesn't work, I get all of it. Um, You know, that parachute is going to be, you know, golden and soaring when I leave here. And she's going to basically she's going to be (laughs) exactly. And when she does, it's like, hey, we we tried to do these things, but, you know, even though I'm the CEO of the company, I did not have control to get these things done. And I think that anyone who would be looking at her for a new role is going to understand that just because we know how Elon does. So that one is going to be really interesting to look at. Hmm. So, Terrence, you put this one in here um, about this snap flat in, this, Snapchat influencer. That's kind of hard to say. It's a kind of tongue twister. A snap, Snapchat influencer has launched an AI powered virtual girlfriend to help cure loneliness. I actually went through and read two, three articles on this. And I'm like, for real, this, this is what we're doing now. It's, but it's brilliant, though. Like as as sad as it is, it's it's also brilliant. Did you see the but coin that she is making per day on this, John? Listen, brilliant. It's your, brilliant. It's your story, Terrence. I'm gonna let you tell it. <laughs> no, I mean that's what it is. Um, this young lady, her name is Karen Majory with a C. Karen with a C, not to be confused with the Karen with a K. <laughs> um, she's a popular influencer. She has 1.8 million subscribers. Of course, everybody's looking to figure out how they can take advantage of monetarily speaking, uh, this new wave, this new trend of AI. So as she's decided, I'm popular, I'm popular enough. I'm fine enough, according to her, according to the people she follows or follows her, that I'm going to merge all this. And create a AI powered voice based chatbot that she hopes will, quote unquote, cure loneliness. Of course, the loneliness is probably for some dudes <laughs> that follow her on Instagram. But again, those are the people who are probably commenting every time she posts a picture. So she's like, all right, there's got to be a way I can monetize this more so than just getting brand deal, brand partnerships and uh, um, any sort of fees from advertising from Instagram. So she has created this, uh, AI, uh, chat bot that fans to a quote unquote unquote can enjoy private personalized conversations with an AI version of her. So it's not something that she created that's going to have a different voice, a different style, different responses. This is kind of mimicked after her. So I guess her. I don't know, uh, attitude, her, I don't know what, what, I guess whatever of her that she can 
in, in part well, it said it, it, on this it, AI. It, it, it took the data from her YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So it basically okay. scrubbed her YouTube channel to get, you know, her mannerisms, mannerisms and, and, yeah. and mentality and sentimentality mm-hmm. and um, thought processes and, you know, voice print, I'm sure, and has reproduced this, this AI that is going to be your next girlfriend. And everybody's right. ex-girlfriend for 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 the low low price of one dollar per minute. Now here's the thing. Uh, so so it's, here's let me read this quote okay. from her uh, from tweet. Karen AI is the first step in the right direction to cure loneliness. Men are told to suppress their emotions, hide their masculinity, and not talk about issues they are having. I vow to fix this with Karen AI. I have worked with the world's right. <laughs> I have worked with the world's leading psychologists. To seamlessly add CBT and DBT, I'm not sure what those are, within chats. This will uh, help undo trauma, rebuild physical and emotional confidence, and rebuild what has been taken away by the pandemic. Now, those are some tall orders mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> where she has con- uh, consulted with the world's leading psychologists. So I don't know if she is the real deal or that just sounds good. So like you said, people can dump their money into this and feel like they have somebody to talk to. How are you curing loneliness when you're encouraging people to not interact with other people? With other people? (laughs) No, she's curing um, the bag is what she's curing. Because $71,610 in revenue in one week from this is just a beta test. There's a thousand beta testers in this. So she don't found a thousand dudes or well, a thousand people to sign up for this and has made $71,610 in the first freaking week. Um, so it's from genius. to your point, it's, it's genius from her point to, to secure yeah. the bag that she's about to get, because who knows how many people is going to be interested in this when they open it up. But here's the thing that I that I found funny. When asked if uh is there supposed to be any nudity in this? Well, there's not supposed to be. Um, right. <laughs> what do you mean there's not supposed to be? There either is not or there is. But it's it not did. supposed to be is not a rogue. sufficient answer. It went rogue and and uh it said it, it's not supposed to engage in sexually explicit interactions. However, after re- after outlets reported that the chatbot does so when prompted, Marjorie issued a statement to Insider saying the AI was not programmed to do this and has seemed to go rogue. My team and I are working around the clock to prevent this from happening. Again. Are you really? Are you are you really yeah. working around the clock to prevent the thing from happening that is making you that seventy one thousand dollars in a week yes, with a thousand people? Money. Yes. From the main thing that dudes go to the thing to do, I guarantee you they not go into this chat bot to talk about their, their uh <laughs> their inside masculinity has been stripped from them and they feel vulnerable and they the day to like Listen. pull the titties out. I'm, wow. <laughs> well, that's what the, that's what, if, if she, if she was for real, if she was serious, she ha- or and her team has to know that the majority of, of these dudes are going to try to get something sexual out of this. For of this to be an oversight, for it to be an oversight, for her, our, oh, our bad, our team is working on this. That yeah. should have been the number yeah. one thing before yeah. it went out, not Oh, we need to fix this because you know that's what the dudes are coming to that for. Anything less, you're an idiot. <laughs> Yo, I mean, this is she, she, she did something here because this is going to open a floodgate. Um, I, I see a Kardashian doing this like tomorrow. Honestly, mm-hmm. this is, it, 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 it's very, very smart. It's a very, very smart use of AI. It's a very smart use of monetization of AI. I mean. You, you I see a Kardashian see doing it. I see some of these big porn sites doing it. They're oh, going to oh, oh, they they pay how much? Oh, oh yeah, we're we're in on that. They they, they will get in on that. I'm surprised OnlyFans has not already tried to like purchase whatever this specific technology is and and however they're using it. But but best believe they'll be integrating that on their platform like within the hour. Honestly, it just it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's like I said, it's very sad that this is what our society has devolved to, you know, trying to cure loneliness, talking to a machine. Um, But I ain't mad at the bag. (laughs) 
So we, we say this every week, but uh, this thing is in beta. It took a week to go rogue. Are we not worried about it's going to be locking dudes in houses and walking away? <laughs> it's a point. <laughs> it's like, well, that I, I just, but, but, man, it's, it's the, what Stephanie mentioned that, you know, less people are going to be encouraged or what's the point of going out and interacting with an actual woman when I ain't got to go through all that. I ain't got to take her on no date. I ain't got to come up with no small talk. I ain't got to do all the things that would probably sharpen your skills to make you right. more abil- able to interact with women. I, well, I got to do all that for. So it kind of right. encourages, um, uh, seclusion, which is going the opposite direction of what human nature is about. Right. And the, the other thing too is that she specifically says that she's worked with world leading psychologists in setting and this up. And I'm like, this does not, really? not going to cure loneliness. And it's like, <laughs> so your cure for loneliness is not to be with people is to, is to seclude yourself even more. It's like, I, I'm not a psychologist. Don't play one on TV, but that just doesn't sound like that makes sense to me. It's like, well, here's what you do since you're having such a hard time um, with loneliness and not being with people, spend more time away from people. And that's going to that's going to help you out. Seems legit. You know what? I, I guess if you don't think about it, it makes sense. But it's it's one of the things that um, I am not. Uh, uh, you know, I I will never be using the service. Let's just say it like that. Um, and, Somebody did. And, and, she made a boatload of money. Man, a dollar a minute. That is that's expensive. That's crazy. <laughs> that's you, that. That's the old school. Uh, what was it? Um the old school chat line pricing back yep. in the day, 99 cent mm-hmm. a minute, 95 to start 99 cent a minute. Like, mm-hmm. like they just say like, what's old is new. It's just, that no, now it's just nothing, a chat bot. Nothing for, changes. It just evolves for, for a dollar a minute. You could darn near get an actual licensed professional that will have a real conversation with you about your problems. Uh, I'm trying to think of yeah. like uh, those, uh, you can get somebody to talk to you for free. I mean, let's just be honest. Oh, but I'm know? talking about it. Like if, if, if you are truly somebody who is suffering, you know, maybe you need to talk to a counselor or a therapist or something like that. $60, you know, you know, $60 an hour, you're getting into the range where you can do some teleconferencing with an actual licensed professional as compared to talking to this woman's avatar that they done created an AI bot to, to you know, to make you I feel know. good. That's you know, it, it. It really is. So, uh, you know, I, so, you know, with that being said, you know, we're going to go pick up on that story that we did not talk about last week about the godfather of AI and how he feels about all of this stuff. Because I just wonder, you know, after reading, you know, through this story about the AI powered virtual girlfriend, what is this guy thinking about, uh, you know, that? You know, I would love to the ask monster, him that the question. Monster he created <laughs> the monster he created. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, Stephanie, this one was yours. If we don't listen to anyone else, should we at least be listening to the godfather of AI? And you have several articles uh, linked to this. I want you to tell us about uh, someone who's been talking about AI for darn near 40 years. Yeah, so Jeffrey Hinton is is the doctor. And, um, you know, just like a couple weeks back when, you know, those all those different tech titans signed the petition to say, you know, this, do us put a six month moratorium on uh, development and things like that. This doctor actually left Google um, so that he could go out and, and, and prophesize about the 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 dangers and the impending dangers of AI. I feel like, you know, it, 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 it feels, I don't want to say disingenuous necessarily, because I think he legitimately fears for where AI can go. Um, and it sounds like, you know, over the course of his career, he has really tried to be as principled as possible in his, in, in what he chose to do. He stopped teaching at Carnegie Mellon because they got a, a defense contract and he didn't want to create, uh, killer robots and, and, and things like that. However, <laughs> he still did this, you know, with, without regard to should I do it without regard to let's, as we're building it, put these guide guardrails and, and structures into place, or at least ask these questions and pose these questions. You know, he, he still did it. And, you know, he, he started off the, the New York times article started off by him saying, if I hadn't done it, someone else would, 
Um, and then at the end, he he quotes the the guy that built the atomic bomb. Oppenheimer, and, and, yeah. Yeah, and 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 says something to the effect that you know it is it, it, when you see something that is technically sweet, you go ahead and do it. So it's kind of like you're part you're part of the problem, but I guess the fact that you are self aware enough to understand that now it is a problem, and you are doing everything in your power to try to solve the problem or fix the problem or stem the 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 tide of the problem, I, I guess is 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 redeemable um, in some respects. But I just I, I feel bad for him because he he really seems to believe that this is you know a, a cause that he you know a hill he's going to die on but it's just like dude you you created the problem it's hard to you, cre- you created the hill it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to empathize when you're the one that created the problem it's funny not only go ahead James. not only that there have been people before him that tried to raise the red flags you know one i can think of not to this extent but uh, Timmet Gibru, Gibru, yeah, Gibru, yeah. Assistant, you know, yeah. She, she, yeah, sister, she was like, yo, this AI stuff is mad problematic, especially as it relates to black, black and brown folks. They was like, you shut up. Google and fired her mm-hmm. and fired her. And we haven't heard from her since. This dude is like, hey, I got a problem with AI. Now he's on a war tour. So it's come on like, it's like, all right. And, now. The, same, and the same with the guy that that. that you know, came out and was like, it's sentient AI is sentient now that worked at Google. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just like, I, I don't know. I think I put this in there just because like who, who, if anyone can put this genie back in the, but not even necessarily put the genie back in the bottle, but pump the brakes on what's happening right now. And if, <laughs> if this guy can't do it, I don't know that anybody is going to be able to do it. And we're just, you know, on a roller it's coaster ride. ride. Wave. Yeah, we're on a roller coaster ride to Skynet at this point. And so it's just like, throw up your hands. I think what the hope is, is that, and this is just a hope. The hope is that it'll be the government that's going to intervene. And the reason the government is going to intervene is because someone who is a contractor for the government is going to show them something that scares them to the point to where, oh, we need to change how earth is, is moving towards this AI. The or, problem or, is, will they catch it quick enough? When, 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 when the government is scared to the point to where they start, we got to shut all this stuff now. Is it too late at that point? Right. Um, the, only, the only way our government is going to react is if some other government is moving faster than them, which you mentioned Oppenheimer, you mentioned the atomic bomb. You, you talk about uh, space travel, getting to the moon. All of these great inventions from America has been in response to somebody getting the appearance of getting there quicker. <laughs> so right. if, if China, you know, if Russia, if India, if, you know, one of these other co- uh, countries or nations is like, yo, we at we about to flip the switch on Skynet. United States is gonna be like, oh man, we gotta flip the switch first. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting. And, and to your point, Rob, you um, you had we 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 skipped it because I think as for time, and now I'm like you know taking more time. Uh, but there was something in the here you put in there about um, EU draft legislation that's banning AI for mass biometric surveillance and predictive policing. Um, in that article, um, there were a couple things that I thought were interesting. Number one, like, what the fuck, United States? Like, why is the EU always in front of these types of regulations and things like that. Um, but that's, a, I guess, a conversation for another time. But there were also some things in there um, that would force companies to disclose the AI training data. I think if anything mm-hmm. could put the brakes on this development, it would be if these companies had to start paying the people whose data they're using to train these systems Mm -hmm. that would that would definitely pause a lot of this you know race to the top or bottom as the case might be um on these on these ai uh, you know systems if they had to start being accountable for how they get their data so here's the thing and here's my thought about that if you have to disclose the data sets you're using to train the inverse is that you're also disclosing the data set you didn't use so well, this is problematic because, you know, why, why, why are black women 
misidentified it literally 10, 12, 13 times the rate that white men are. Oh, because you didn't use enough black women to actually run the data sets. That, that was something we're going to come back and talk about that because we, you know, we, we can, you know, I want to see how this story pans out a little bit more. Um, but, uh, it is, it, yes, yeah, like they're saying, we're not going to allow you to use this stuff to train for facial recognition, but also they don't want to use it for predictive police enforcement. So I had to really think about, so what is predictive police enforcement? You, you, you guys, did you see the movie, the minority report? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, so it's like, so hold up. They're going to use AI based off of your social media profiles and information they can find about you to predict if they think that you would actually commit a crime and come after you before you do it. Well, they need to do, they need to do that for John Morant. Cause I was, you took oh, words out of my mouth. I was about so, to make a John Morant joke. And you oh, we will be talking about John Morant in the after party. Uh, we will be talking about John Moran in the after party. There's no question about that. We will get to the after party here pretty quickly because you know what time it is. It is time for us to do a spotlight. So I found a spotlight this week. Let me go ahead and pull it up. And um, I even got a picture of her. I want to put her up on the screen. So this week, we're going to be talking about Dr. Patricia Arabath, who was an American ophthalmologist and humanitarian. She was the first African-American woman to receive a medical degree in ophthalmology, the first African-American woman to be board certified in ophthalmology, and the first African-American woman to be appointed to the faculty of a medical school ophthalmology department. She was also the first African-American woman to receive a patent for a medical invention. She actually received five of them over her career. Born in New York City in 1942, Patricia Bath attended Hunter College, where she earned a bachelor's degree in chemistry in 1964. She then attended Howard University College of Medicine, where she earned her medical degree in 1968. After completing her medical residency at the Harlem Hospital Center, Bath went on to complete a fellowship in the corneal and refractive surgery department at Columbia University. In 1973, Bath joined the faculty of the UCLA Jules Stein Eye Institute. She was the first African-American woman to be appointed to a faculty position at the Institute. Bath also founded the American Institute for Prevention of Blindness, an organization dedicated to reducing blindness in developing countries. In 1986, Bath invented the Laser Faco Probe, a device that revolutionized cataract surgery and still used today. The Laser Faco Probe uses laser energy to remove cataracts, which is a much less invasive procedure than traditional cataract surgery. Bath's invention has made cataract surgery safer and more effective and has helped millions of people around the world to regain their sight. Bath was a pioneer in the field of ophthalmology and role, a role model for women and minorities in medicine. She was a tireless advocate for the prevention of blindness and for the advancement of women in medicine. Bath was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993 and the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2005. She died in 2019 at the age of 76. Bath's legacy is one of innovation, advocacy, and service. She was a brilliant doctor, a dedicated humanitarian, and a trailblazer for women and minorities in medicine. Her work had a profound impact on the lives of millions of people around the world. There's probably ten millions, tens of millions at this point when you're talking about cataract surgery. And, you know, it's just it's, it's amazing to me that once again, something that helps so many people was created by a black woman. And I found out about this through a personal story. One of my family members recently, I had to take them two weeks ago to actually have, uh, you know, some um, an eye surgery done. And while I'm sitting in the recovery room, there was like a big placard of, uh, you know, of Dr. Bath. And it just kind of read, you know, through some of the stuff that I just went through right here. I was like, oh, wow, sister actually developed the laser technology for cataract surgery. And she's got some patents that actually going to do in like LASIK surgery and stuff like that would have never known if I would have never seen that um, placard. What was funny was that while I was sitting in the, uh, you know, in the recovery room, there was another woman who said that, yeah, she's actually one of my sorors as well. So she's an AKA. And that's, uh, that was one of the things that she, you know, this woman was taking her father to get cataract surgery. And one of the things that she said to convince him to do it was like, well, you know, daddy did it was a black woman who actually invented uh, the surgery that you're going to have, does that make you feel better? And he's like, yeah, actually it kind of does. And that was the thing that I'm pushed saying, him over into getting the surgery done. Listen, listen, you want something done right, get a black woman to do it. So like I said, so Dr. Patricia Era Bath, her, uh, her daughter, I believe it's her oldest daughter is also, uh, you know, making waves in the, in the field of psychiatry. She's a doctor as well out in, uh, you know, I think, I think she's at UCLA. Um, but, uh, you know, her, her daughter is, uh, also, uh, you know, making big moves in medicine, but I just thought this was cool. The first woman to actually become an ophthalmologist, to be board certified, the first woman to get, you know, any type of medical patent, black woman. And this and happened in 86. That, it's not even that long ago. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, she just died, you know, a couple years back. And and it's like, you we still talking about first. First this and first that. It's just, it's like, come yeah, on. She would, she would, if she was still living, she would be 81. Right. And that's not even that's that not, old. It's not I mean, that. Older, it's, it's older, but it's, but it's not that old. old. So, yeah, it's like, a, and like I said, you know, the first patent, 1986. That is not a lot. We can all, all three of us remember 86 very well. Absolutely. So, so yeah, Doctor Patricia Era Bath. Bath. That's right. And I had LASIK, so she probably has something to do with my successful <laughs> LASIK surgery back in the day. Yeah, but she was out there, chemistry in the chemistry and physics in the physics of lasers, while at the same time being an ophthalmologist and doing cataract surgery. That's that's the, that's just how dope is that? The, these are who we. Well, this is why we do spotlights every week, or or, right. or or often. We don't do them every week, but when we do do them, but this is why because there's a lot of folks who look like us who we can, you know, the, the, these are the science rock stars, and we. we we need to let people know that, you know, you can you can have a STEM background and do some wonderful things. And this woman has made it possible for a lot. C- cataracts is a horrible thing. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I've known people who literally couldn't see got cataract surgery and then they could. Um, and it makes it just so much easier to do. And she's doing it. She did this all around the world, not just here in the United States. So with that, y'all. It's about time to get up on out of here and start our after party where we will be talking about. I'm just going to tease it. We, we are going to be talking about some uh, John Morant in the after party. So for anyone who was interested in, uh, in in listening to that, you probably should become a patron of the Tech John. That is one of the ways you can support the show. And if you were to head over to patreon.com forward slash the Tech John, any one of the tiers over there gets you access to our after party that we're going to be doing here in about three minutes. So until we get to the after party, uh, Stephanie, why don't you tell folks how they can get at you? You can find me all around the web at Tech Life Steph and head to my brand new website, StephanieHumphrey.com. And you can find me all over the Internet at Brother Tech. That's B-R-O-T-H-A-T-E-C-H. And I am at Rob Dunwood on all the things. And we are also at The Tech John on all the things. And remember, one of the best ways you can help us out is just to tell somebody about the show. So tell somebody to head over to uh, thetechjohn.com forward slash tell somebody. And uh, that'll give them every way that they can possibly listen to and subscribe to the show. Till we meet again in a week's time. Peace. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.